new series this morning called By Faith Moses. And I'm going to start with a little trivia question this morning. If anybody gets it exactly right, I will buy you a steak dinner, okay? And how many times is the name Moses used in the Bible? How many times is the name Moses used in the Bible? Go ahead. Somebody give it a shot. A hundred. Five hundred. Forty. Hey, hey, Siri, get out of here. Would you believe, would you believe, 784 times the name Moses is used. 784 times, it blew me away, I had no idea. Uh, besides the Godhead, God and Jesus, the only name that I believe is mentioned more than that is the name David, just over 900 times. And uh, Moses is, is kind of this linchpin of the Old Testament. And his life is so powerful and so important. He was the early author of, uh, the earthly author of the first five books of the Bible. And God reveals to us that Moses was one of the great people of faith found in the Old Testament. In this series, we want to take the time to search out the faith choices that shaped Moses into who he became. And so the title of our series is By Faith Moses. And in this first Sunday, let's head over to Hebrews 11 to get the foundation passages of our series. Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, we now know who cheats in trivia games. <laughs> I know, it wasn't part of the rules. Hebrews 11. Here we go, verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assigned to do, were drowned. Today, let's talk about the origin of his faith in our series, By Faith, Moses. And let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible characters you've given us to help us form character and, and the fundamental doctrine in our own lives. And we thank you for the life of Moses, and we thank you for his parents as well as we talk about his faith and their faith this morning. I pray that you would grow our faith. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So where did this great faith of Moses begin? Well, Hebrews 11 addresses it in one verse. And it's easy and it's simple. It started with his parents. Like most people on planet Earth, Moses was introduced to belief through the ones who brought him into the world. And that's not always the case. We even asked in our life group this morning, uh, how many of you, neither one of your parents was a believer in Jesus, 
And there were several, in our, just in our group, who raised their hands that they had come to faith after growing up at home. But if you take any little boy in Iraq this morning, he is most likely going to grow up with the foundation of Islam in his life. It will take a miracle of God to break through that foundation. You take well over 80% of the little girls in India this morning, and they'll be brought up understanding Hindu. And it will take a miracle of God to break through that foundation. Take most of the kids in Tibet, and they'll be brought up as Buddhists. And it will take a miracle of God to break through that foundation. 85% of the kids in Mexico will grow up Catholic. 45% of the kids in America will grow up being identified as Christians. And no matter where you grow up or what way of life your parents introduce you to, it will take a miracle of God to redeem your soul from sin. Now that miracle has already been given through the blood of Jesus Christ. And receiving Jesus is a personal choice that every person has to make for himself. There's no religion that you can be born into that assures you eternal life, according to God's word. That is a lie of the devil. Everybody has to choose God for himself or herself. So what's the advantage to being born into a Bible-believing home? Well, the advantage is you are given the right foundation from the start. And yes, you still have to trust in Jesus for yourself, but you aren't led down a path of lies in your early years. And so Moses grew up under two opposing paradigms. His birth parents were Jewish at a time before the law was given. They were still living under the faith of the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And when Pharaoh's daughter uh, found a baby boy in the Nile River one day, it set the stage for Moses to be introduced through her to the pagan beliefs of Egypt. And so here's Moses uh, in this spiritual tug-of-war, in a spiritual no-man's land, with influence from both sides. He was going to have to make some choices about his faith, just like all of us have to, no matter how we grow up. And Hebrews 11:23 helps us to know that the faith of Moses' birth parents was going to win the day in his life. And so I want to go back this morning and see how this unfolds in the book of Exodus. If you go back with me to the second book in the Bible, Exodus, and we're going to go to the second chapter, Exodus chapter 2. And I want to begin there as you get to your place in Exodus 2, in the first couple of verses, there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And as some of you are looking at that and thinking, that is really weird. Okay, uh, not until Leviticus did God give an instruction that you could not marry a relative. Okay, and it's kind of strange. I know some of you from Arkansas thought that was just the norm. Uh, but in, in Bible times in the early years, uh, people ask, where did Cain get his wife? Well, this obviously was his sister. Uh, and uh, you go through, and, and here's this son of Levi who probably married one of his cousins. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Okay, let's give you some background on this as we talk first about the risks of faith. <clears throat> the risks of faith. Now, the patriarchs were 
Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph. And after Joseph, the Jewish patriarch, died, a new king came on the scene in Egypt. And he noticed that the Jewish race was rapidly growing. And in fact, it was growing so rapidly that it might overtake the Egyptian race. And so he took the Jews and he forced them into slavery. And they built his treasure cities and his pyramids. In fact, you can go still to see their handiwork today in Egypt. He told the Jewish midwives to kill all baby boys that were born. But the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and they saved the lives of countless numbers of boys. And so Pharaoh, uh, having not gotten true to the midwives, now made a decree. He made a law throughout the whole land that every son that was born to a Jew had to be cast into the river. That was the law. It was a horrible law. But I have to tell you that Pharaoh was no worse than people in 2017 who have changed the term from murder to abortion and called it a woman's right. Killing babies is still murder, whether it's the day they're delivered or any time before. Just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with the story. But baby murderers sometimes look at Pharaoh and say, what a horrible king, while they hold picket signs, and support uh, Planned Parenthood. So here's this young Levite man named Amram. And it's not in the passage here, so you're looking, whoa, I didn't see that. You're going to find it later uh, in the genealogies. His wife's name was Jochebed. And they already had two children. They had a little girl named Miriam, and she was about five or six, and they had a little boy named Aaron. He was three years old. And when another boy was born into the family, they had to make a big choice. Are we going to throw our baby boy into the river because the king commanded it and we fear the king? Or will we save our child alive because we fear God? It was extremely dangerous to hide a baby boy. In fact, the penalty was death. But these parents hid the little baby for three months having no idea what God had planned for this young fellow. And, and there were some big risks for them. They had to make some huge life choices. And yeah, they are probably in their early 20s. You know, parenting is filled with unknowns and uncertainties. Producing life is such an exciting yet scary thing. Moses' parents were willing to go against the, sweat, the status quo for their son. Obviously, we live in a much different time. But we still have to be willing to stand up against the cultural norms and fight for the souls of our children. Society wants to do everything it can to take God out of their lives. And yes, there are risks to training them on the way they should go, but it's worth challenging the norms. And so there are risks in our faith, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's in our workplace, uh, whether it's in our neighborhood life, whether it's in our extended family, there are risks to our faith. Let's move forward to verse number three, though, and see the rivers of our faith. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off, 
to wit, what would be done to him. Can you imagine taking a three-month-old baby and laying him in a covered basket in the world's longest river? And then you have your little daughter watch to see what will happen to her baby brother. Where will the river take him? You know, once he's in the river, you're no longer in the driver's seat. The river is. Unless you trust the God who controls the rivers. And the rivers of faith happen often in the process of parenting. As a parent, you start with full control over a child. You have to feed him and burp him and bathe him and change his diaper a lot. Uh, you, have to, you have to carry him and transport him and get him to all of his appointments because he can't take himself. Uh, you have to buy his clothes as he grows and put lotion on his dry skin and comb his one hair. Uh, you have to buy baby food and formula. And you have to make sure his bed is safe. and You have to buy a car seat and learn to mess with the straps. And, and most first-time parents aren't prepared for the amount of control they must have over this little human being. And they make you do more training to get a driver's license than they do for you to take a kid home from the hospital. And you start with full control, and then you end with no control. Eventually, you place your kid in the river. Now, if you parent correctly, at least you get to choose the river. And you start with a tiny little stream and work your way up to the big rivers and you start allowing your kids to make choices on their own but still under your watchful care. Uh, got a kick out of our son Dawson. <clears throat> He's down in Florida. A work program, uh, college starts in a couple weeks. And he texted me this week and said, uh, hey dad, I'm going to go. Uh, this guy's going to train me in basketball next weekend. It's our family friend. And he said, but I had to put that he's my uncle on the forum. And I thought, man, it's not good. It's not good. But I, I held my tongue, right? Because he's got to make choices on his own. He said, the only way they can let me leave is if he's related to me. And I really want to go. And so I said, he's my uncle. And uh, my wife said, he's your brother from another mother. Um, but um, I don't know exactly how you fit all that in. So you've got to... Yeah, she said something. I don't remember what it was. What did you say? <laughs> um, she said something close to that. So, but Dawson is, is down in Florida, and I would like to help him make choices still, but he's got to make some choices. So I've got to let the river take him. And sometimes the river takes you to the superintendent's office. Sometimes the river takes you uh, to the, the dorm office, and they say, now your uncle, how old is he? Right? And his uncle's 22. Right? So either he's from a really strange family or it may not be his uncle. Uh, but, but the river starts to take them and you have to allow them to make choices. And eventually they end up the, in the river no matter how you slice it. And you have no more physical control. Think about how quickly Moses' parents yielded control to the river. He's three months old. I can see his mother 
as she lays him in that little ark of bulrushes she had made. And I'm sure she had tested the handiwork to make sure it would float. And as she walked away, she began to speak to Jehovah and say, God, I'm placing my child in the river. I don't know what will happen, but I know that you control the river. Please allow the river to take him where he should go. And she begged God to control what would happen to the baby. And there are parents here this morning who have lost control. And your kid is now in the river. And you know that he or she isn't ready for everything that's going to happen. And you know you won't be there for the decisions that are going to be made. And so you pray to God, just like Jochebed did over 3,600 years ago, that God will guide your child. And that's part of the river of faith. You lose control. And you have to trust in the God who's in control. And so there are risks to our faith. And there's rivers to our faith, but then we also have the results of faith. We see what happens next in verse number 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, wouldn't you know it, an Egyptian woman came down to the river to do her washing at just this time when baby Moses was lying there in the river. And it wasn't just any Egyptian woman. It was the princess herself. Oh, my, but there is a God who controls the rivers for those who believe. The daughter of Pharaoh the same Pharaoh who had given the command to kill all baby boys is now in possession of a Hebrew baby boy. And she doesn't want to kill him. Most of you men who are kings at your house know that there's going to be this thing where everybody's got to keep the rules. Right? And if there's anyone who can get away with breaking the king's rules, it's likely going to be your daughter. Okay? Whether she's 16 or whether she's 4, even though our 16-year-old believes that the 4-year-old gets away with everything. And I try to remind her that when she was little, she got away with stuff too, that she's not having it. She doesn't believe it's true. And older kids always believe that the youngest kid's spoiled, Right? Uh, even if the youngest kid really is spoiled. They, they really do believe that. Uh, so here's this girl, this princess, and Pharaoh's daughter was keeping this baby. It didn't matter what her dad said. Her dad could take her down uh, to the place where the law was written, and he could show her the decree, and he could show her uh, his stamp on the decree, and she would tell dad, Dad, I'm keeping the baby. And Pharaoh had no say-so in this. He's done. And so Pharaoh's daughter is going to keep this baby. The results of faith are always greater than we can imagine.
Because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Entrusting God with the outcomes of their unknowns, Moses' parents quickly found that God had big plans for this little boy. He had been divinely chosen to serve Jehovah. If you do what only you can do, and you allow God to do what only he can do, it's amazing what will get done. When we try to take over God's job, things don't work well. When we try to engineer the path of our kids instead of allowing God to speak his passion into their lives, we end up with a mess. And when there are unknowns, we have to allow God to be in control of the outcome. This doesn't just go for parenting. This goes for everything. I think we all understand that there are a lot of unknowns that we face. There are a lot of things that we have no control over. And a tomorrow may bring up something that we've never anticipated. It may bring up something that we've never thought of, we've never dreamed of, that we've pushed against or, or we've fought against or we don't want. And we have to be willing and ready to allow God to be in charge of results. God has called us to certain actions. Uh, sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines. And I can't control everything that's going to happen in my life this week, but I can control if I walk with God. I can get in the Word of God and make sure I'm faithful to it. I can have a prayer life and be faithful to talk to God. I can be faithful in my giving, and I can be faithful to tell others about the gospel, and I can be faithful to meet with the body of Christ when we come together for church. I can control those things. But only God can control some things. And there are things that you can control with your kids. And then there are things that you have no control over. Yeah, you, you can do every, I've seen moms who are so meticulous about a baby's health. Uh, it's so meticulous. And the baby's still got chicken pox. Imagine that. And I've seen moms who uh, they have a ritualistic schedule uh, of when they put their baby to bed. Now, I'm not talking about anybody in here. If you do this, that's your decision. But uh, I've seen moms that their baby's got to be in bed at 6.49 every night. And it don't vary from 6.49 because some guy in a book somewhere said if it's 6.50, life will be ruined. And, you know, I've seen moms that have that control over their kids, and the kids still woke up at a time when they didn't watch. Uh, things happen in ways that we don't anticipate and that we don't watch, and we don't have any control over them. And so we have to live our lives with the risks. And we have to live our lives with the rivers because God is in charge of the results. Now, where this passage gets really good is this next part. Exodus chapter 2 at verse number 7. Here's little Miriam. And she's just waiting. And you say, how could a five-year-old girl be this smart? Well, apparently you haven't been around five-year-old girls for a while. They're brilliant. Okay, they can run just about everything in your house at the age of five years old. Uh, we have a little niece, Brianna, and she could basically run everything. At least she really thinks she can. I mean, she's pretty sure that she could do just about anything. 
And here's this little girl, Miriam, five years old, and mom told her to go down and watch what happens to the baby. So now Pharaoh's daughter goes down and finds the baby. And then, verse 7, said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? How in the world could a five-year-old be that smart? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew. She brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now look at verse number 11. And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Let's talk, last of all today, about the rewards of faith. Yes, there are risks, and yes, there are rivers, but there are so many rewards. And here Miriam appears quickly at the river, and she pipes up in her five-year-old voice, Hey, do you need a Hebrew nurse for your baby? I have just the right person in mind. And the princess uh, calls mom and says, I want you to take this child to your house and raise him until he's being weaned, and, uh, and I'll pay you to do it. Can you imagine if you got paid to take care of your own kids? Oh, it'd be crazy, right? And parenting would be even easier, might be better. And, uh, when, and once your kid is, is taught and once your kid has been trained, and then you go and give him to somebody else. And, uh, and she said, I'm going to call him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And now, after all that's happened, after all the risks, after uh, placing the child in the river, God gave Moses' parents a unique opportunity. It's an opportunity that's so very important. It was the opportunity to shape his life in the most important period of character building. Here's what psychologists tell us. The most important formative years in the life of a child are between the ages of three and six years old. That is where children that are during those years will learn the foundation of everything that they pursue from then on out. That doesn't mean that things can't be changed if they're over six years old, uh, but those years are so important, especially in, in training them to know who God is and to know who Jesus is and what sin is and, and why they need a Savior and uh, to understand that they have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So many kids grow up in church we talked about this in life group this morning. And uh, there are religions all over the world where kids grow up under a ritual. And, uh, and because it's just a ritual and they don't have a relationship with deity, they rebel. Do you know that that includes Christianity? There are thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who grow up in Christian churches just like this one, who go to uh, Sunday school, and they go to vacation Bible school, and they go to youth group, and when they get old enough, they leave the faith. And it's because rituals with no relationship will just lead to rebellion. If coming to church today is just something you had to do, 
that means you probably don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you came because you love God, and because you want to serve Him, because you want to know Jesus, that's important as well. And, and so here this family is, and they've had their life turned upside down, and now they're going to be able to raise and form their own child. And so uh, Moses, they trained him who Jehovah was. They trained him that the, the Egyptians were holding the Jews as slaves. And they trained him in all of the important things that he was going to need to know, and he remembered that. Many years ago, in uh, 2006, uh, we came to Centennial. Yeah, it has been 11 years just about since this Sunday. Yeah, and earlier that summer, uh, the state of Idaho called us. Yeah, and we had a little boy in our home uh, who was the birth brother of Dawson and Autumn. And uh, the state called us and said, yeah, we'd had him for two years, and they said, we're taking him back. Uh, we're, we're getting the mom, her life together, and yeah, he's going to come out of your home, and he won't be able to be adopted. And it's the most heartbreaking thing we've ever gone through, by far. It was like a death in the family prolonged over a few periods of months. And, and I remember the night before he had to go back officially. He's four years old. And I remember Cody's crying, and Dawson kind of understood what was going on, and he was crying. And Autumn, she didn't have a care in the world. She didn't really understand and uh, we had him in my room, and, and Cody said to me, Dad, I'm worried that he won't know Jesus. Yeah, and a boy, it broke my heart. I started crying, and I was trying to not let the kids see me because they start crying too. Yeah, and I started laying on the bed, and I started talking to him. And uh, I said to him, who loves you no matter what? He said, Jesus, he's four years old. And I said, what happens to people who don't have Jesus? And he pointed. He didn't really know what it was. He just kind of knew that. And I said, you need Jesus in your life always, no matter what. And, and uh, now he's 15 years old. And I have no idea exactly what's going on in his heart and his life. But I know this. From the time we had him in those two years in our home, Every opportunity we could, we taught him the right way. We taught him who Jesus was. And we taught him truth. And, uh, and we just pray that those seeds were enough for him to one day seek God on his own. Now, this happened with Moses. I think that Moses probably went to the palace when he was about four to five years old. Okay, uh, uh, most kids are weaned by then, even though there's some rarities on this in Time Magazine every year where there's an eight-year-old still nursing or whatever. Um, most kids are weaned, uh, and by the way, if you did that with your kids, I'm not condemning you, okay? Yeah, just don't do it at church when they're seven. That's a little weird. So, uh, so they have this thing where he goes back to the palace now, and he's probably four or five years old, and he grows up in the education of, of the Egyptians, and he learns all of their superstitions, and he learns all their medicines, and he learns all their customs, and he's the best of the best. He learns how to be a warrior. Uh, he learns everything that a son of Pharaoh would learn. And when he comes to age, 
at verse number 11. When Moses was grown, he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. He went out to the Jews and he remembered enough to know that he was really a Hebrew. He remembered enough to know that he needed to know and serve the God of the Hebrews. The rewards of faith are so cool. When you see your son or your daughter begin to read God's word without being told. When you get to see a kid that you taught in Sunday school or Awana grow up to make good life choices. And when you see children that you've invested in who are now investing in the kingdom of God on their own. When you see your kids make good choices, and uh, I always think it's so neat when your kid begins to tell other people, I'm sorry, without you telling them, tell them you're sorry. And they just come in and say, I'm sorry, and they start weeping. And you know, something's getting to their heart. Something's starting to take shape in that life and in that soul. I don't know if Moses' father and mother were still alive when verse 11 happened. I think they probably would have been in their 60s by then. But can you imagine how they must have felt if they were? They had been watching him from afar for decades. And every time they got close to the palace, they would look and see if they could spot Moses. And I'm sure they were worried and they were scared and, and really they were upset because when they did see him, he didn't look like a Jew, he looked like an Egyptian. He, he'd been given a haircut like an Egyptian. He'd been given the, uh, the clothes of the Egyptian. Uh, he probably owned his own cat because that was big to the Egyptians. Okay, so, so Moses was growing up in the palace and he was totally an Egyptian and his parents are watching from afar all these years and they probably think, oh, Pharaoh's going to have him married off to some princess from somewhere. And they never got news, and they never saw that happening. And one day, a friend said, Hey, Moses is in the Jewish quarter. Moses is walking through. And they began to discern, and they began to understand that Moses remembered his heritage, and he remembered who he was. The grandson of Pharaoh had now chosen the people of God. And their son, living in the palace, now identified with the slaves. And think about that decision for Moses, because we're going to cover it in coming weeks. It was a horrible financial decision. He went from total wealth to total poverty. It was a horrible cultural decision. He was on the in crowd. He got invited to all the parties. And now he's going to be part of the out crowd. But it was a great step of faith. And where had he learned that faith? From parents who were willing to take big risks and willing to face big rivers because they believed in the God who made the rivers. Here's today's big truth. Godly parenting is filled with faith-based tasks from beginning to end. There will definitely be risks that require you to surrender and rivers that require God's wisdom to navigate. So many parents in 2017, unwittingly, I don't think they do it on purpose, but they buy in 
to this humanistic parenting model that's being fed to them by every corner of our culture. And as Christians, we have to stand up and say, enough is enough. The world is not getting our kids. They've been given to us as gifts from God, and we're going to take our responsibility for real, and we're going to model a life of faith to our kids, not a life of convenient Christianity. We're going to show them that we need God every single day, not just on Sunday. We need God every single week, not just the ones where we find it convenient to go to church. And we may have to say things like, kids, I know you like that show, but it's not pleasing to God. And it might have to come out of your mouth. Kids, that music is not honoring God. Kids, let's set down the video game controllers and read a Bible story tonight. And let's memorize a verse together as a family. And let's turn off the computer and play a game together. And let's set the phones down and have a family prayer time. You say, but if I do that, my kids won't like me. You know, if you're too afraid to train up your children in the way they should go, you are going to live a life of regret for all eternity. Because what you wish will happen won't ever raise godly kids. Only what you consistently model will happen. You can't wish your kids into being authentic Christ followers. It's going to take a labor of faith. It's going to have to happen every day, every day, every day. You know, there, there were some nights, the story I told you a while ago, there were some nights when we missed the Bible story when little Ethan was at our house. And I've often thought, what did we miss it for? And sometimes it was because Dad was watching a football game. And sometimes it was because Mom was shopping and we were just busy. Sometimes it's because we all went to McDonald's on a Tuesday night and got a half-price Happy Meal. That happened all the time when the kids were little. And I've often thought, I wonder if we missed something crucial that could have spoken into his life. I hope we didn't. But that consistency as Christian parents is where it's at. And it takes work. You have to buckle down and you have to really fight hard to have a family time together around God's word. Because there are distractions everywhere. There are issues that are going to pull you from that everywhere. And listen, if you're a Christian grandparent, and a Christianity somehow, some way didn't get through your kids, and they made their own choices, or maybe you look back with some regrets, let, let me tell you this. You have an opportunity with your grandkids to show them Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity with your grandkids to pray with them and for them and to teach them who Jesus is. And you know what? If your kids get offended by that, tell them to take it up with God. Say, this is my family, those are my grandkids, and I'm going to fight for them to know Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to say it in a mean way. You don't have to belittle their parenting or say anything negative about their parenting. But you have a right as a grandparent to teach your grandkids about Jesus Christ. And you ought to stand up for that. We're talking about a heritage of faith here. 
We're talking about passing it to a generation who can pass it to a generation who can pass it to a generation. Let's talk about today's faith challenge. Here's the question. Are you willing to give up your control to realize that God's plans are better than yours? God's ways work. They have been proven time and time again. Do man's ways work? Well, Proverbs says this twice. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Do man's plans work? No. God's plan always works. Moses' parents didn't have a Bible, but they had great faith. We have Bibles, we have helpful Christian books all over our bookshelves, but a lot of times we're missing the faith and commitment part that they had. We have all the tools we need to raise up a generation that will change the world for Jesus, and it's time for us to rise up and do it, to set aside the empty things that are filling our lives and fill our families with authentic faith. When we stand before God, as believers, most everything that we have done will be burnt up in the fire of judgment. Just about everything we've invested in, everything we've taken our time to do, everything we've put our effort into, just about everything will be gone. If you invest in the lives of your kids and grandkids, that will last for all eternity. You know, if you're not a believer in Jesus, someday you will stand at the great white throne judgment. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God. And there will be no excuses in that day. And you won't be able to say, God, I meant to establish a relationship with you. He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And if you've never established a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the most important step you can take, whether you're 8 years old or 18 or 80. You need Jesus in your life. You need Jesus in your home. You need Jesus in your family. You need his word to be the center of everything you do. Here are Moses' parents. We don't know much about them. Someday we'll get to meet them. Amram, he's a Levite. Jochebed's this young lady who got married to her cousin. And, a, and here they've got these kids, and now they have this little boy. I wonder if they're up in heaven even now saying, God, thank you that we did what was right with our baby. Thank you for allowing us to have the courage to commit our baby to you. Maybe you need to have some courage today as a parent. Maybe you need to come before God and say, God, Make me into the parent I need to be because I'm flawed, I'm human, I've failed, I falter all the time, and we all do. And say, God, by your grace, would you overcome my faults and make my children into the beings you want them to be? Not just what I want to be, want them to be, but what you want them to be. Let's bow together today. As we bow, what's holding you back from your faith in Jesus?